Escape velocity. Welcome to episode five of Escape Velocity Radio. I'm your host, Benjamin Grundy, and I'm here with forensic scientist and living idiot, Aaron Wright. On today's episode, a feature interview with musician and activist Shauna Potter of the hardcore band War on Women, and a cursory attempt at a reality-based assessment of Israeli chauvinism. But first up, Derek Hope fucking loves Obama. Well, Chris, the 2012 U.S. elections... Selection, more like it! Corporate selection! ...have come to an end. Thank they, Christ! They What's concluded. the difference? Four more years of bullshit! You know what? This election was not without its positive outcomes. Oh, come outcomes. on! Whoever you vote for, the government gets in. <laughs> listen, listen. Obama's re-election ensured that the Affordable Health Care Act will be upheld, Chris. War criminal! And, and although deeply troubling... Corporate support, shill! Of the insurance industry, it will nonetheless massively expand healthcare coverage to millions Surveillance of Americans state. who would go without healthcare. Guantanamo Liter- Bay, literally saving thousands of lives every year in America, which would have been completely scrapped under a Romney Ryan presidency. True. Okay. Not to mention that there is now a record number of women in the Senate, including really the first openly gay senator, Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin. Really. It's true. I didn't know that. And the victory of Elizabeth Warren, who is a campaigner for the increased regulation of Wall Street. That's right. And she won despite a concerted campaign against her, backed by Wall Street financiers. I forgot about that. And that is not to mention the many heartening results of ballot initiatives across the U.S., including the legalization of gay marriage in Maine and Maryland, and the upholding Mm. of gay marriage in both Washington State and Minnesota. Right, right. Not to mention other states which voted to end the criminalization of marijuana, limit corporate spending on elections, Mm -hmm. and curb the harsh penalties under three strikes laws. Jeez, you know what? You're right. That's a lot of good stuff. I think so. Things are looking up. Yeah, we could be really turning a corner here. It really does feel like it. You know what? (laughs) I kind of regret being so cynical about the Obama administration. Yeah, I think that we could really see... Predator drone reportedly has killed a high-ranking Al-Qaeda operative. Fox News has learned it is not Osama bin Laden or his second-in-command, Ayman al-Zawahiri. Well, reaction now from political scientist, activist and author Norman Finkelstein. Joining me live there in New York, Israel and its Western allies maintain the country has the right to self-defense. So is Hamas responsible for this crisis? Well, if you look at the sequence of events, there was a lull between Israel and the Palestinians in Gaza up until November 8th. On November 8th, Israel killed a Palestinian child. Uh, Then Israel killed two more Palestinian children. And during the funeral of the two children who were killed, uh, Israel fired on the tent where the 
attendees to the funeral were present. Chris, as we record this today, uh, we are mere days Days. past uh, a ceasefire ceasefire announced between Israel and Hamas. Israel, as I'm sure most of our listeners will have heard, concluded an eight-day aerial bombardment of Gaza, the most densely populated place on the planet. Open-air prison. Killing some 130 people including children, we would be remiss not to perhaps direct our listeners to some resources which may help clear the cloud of misinformation. I know before I had ever read anything about the Israel-Palestine conflict and the history of it, to me it was just this confusing morass of information. I didn't know who, who was where, when, or that, you know, there's just people fighting are they just a bunch of assholes killing each other? You know, what is the, the real context? So we're going to put some links in the show notes to some books and a couple online resources that could be helpful. And one of those is actually an interview that we did on G7 Radio, our previous podcast, with John Elmer. Do you recall that, Chris? I do remember that. Uh, John Elmer, photojournalist, now pretty much just a journalist. He's doing actually a lot of great work. You can follow him on Twitter. We actually interviewed him in 2005, and he discussed Israel's quote-unquote withdrawal from Gaza. So he has a unique on-the-ground perspective, and uh, he really illuminated some interesting history and facts about that. So we would encourage everyone to check that out. Check out the links to some of the books and articles that we have in the show notes. It's a relatively broad topic, though. At its root, a simple issue of the occupation of a people the taking of their land, and state violence against a defenseless population. That's right, Derek. Go look at those show notes. And uh, if anybody out there had grandfathers that fought the Nazis, ask yourself, do you think they fought the fucking Nazis and risked your family's existence just so Israel could set up an apartheid state? Mine didn't. I would also say anybody who has the propaganda DVD... Shameless plug! Live from Occupied Territory. Can put it in their DVD player if they still have one. Ridiculous. And uh, they can fire up Peace Propaganda and the Promised Land, which is included as a bonus track on there. That's true. I forgot about that. That is an excellent little documentary. Have it right there in your hot little hands. And if you don't have it, please buy it because we have thousands remaining. It's true. I've seen them. In fact, I'm sitting on a couch made out of them right now. Go to your library and grab these books and check it out for yourself. And then get fucking outraged. Get outraged that your tax dollars pay for this fucking bullshit. Yeah, and if you're wondering why a resident of, say, the United States or Canada should be concerned about this, aside from the obvious humanitarian implications of just not wanting people to be murdered by warplanes. It's because your tax dollars are paying for this bullshit. Yeah, in both Canada and, I mean, and especially the U.S., Israel could not arm itself how it does without U.S. aid and U.S. manufactured planes, bombs, and other artillery. And the Canadian government and even the Manitoba provincial government has come out in strong support of Israel murdering the citizens of Gaza under the guise of anti-terrorism. By the way, if you elect a government that Israel does not feel is legitimate, that government can automatically just be labeled as terrorists. Way to go, Greg Selinger and Pat Martin. A lot of backbone you got there.
Potter is the lead vocalist for the Baltimore-based hardcore band War on Women. She also runs a guitar and amp repair company called Big Crunch and is founder of the Baltimore chapter of Hollaback, an international anti-street harassment organization. Shauna Potter, welcome to Escape Velocity Radio. Thank you both for having me. Shauna, first of all, thanks for being here. And let me start by asking, when did you first realize you were a feminazi? <laughs> Pretty early on. Um, no, I knew I was a feminist uh, just because I thought that everyone sort of deserved equal uh, treatment or opportunity because I was raised by a single mother. So it was very easy to see a woman, you know, taking care of business and, and providing for her family. And there was no reason why my mom should be thought of as less than uh, anyone else. But I think I became a feminazi <laughs> uh, during the, the first Bush administration. I wasn't very political, which is funny because the personal is political. Uh, but I wasn't very political until I read in a magazine that he wanted to limit abortion rights. And I thought, what is this dude who will never be pregnant? How does he have any authority to talk about the reproductive health of, of half of the world? That doesn't make any sense. So that's when I started uh, paying attention. So is there a, a connection between your kind of feminist political awakening and your personal musical journey through being in bands and now with being or starting the band War on Women? Yeah, I mean, I think probably like most people that start a band when they're like 12 or 14, is I was just writing about people and relationships, which I still find incredibly fascinating. And there's a lot of material there, obviously, because people are crazy. But I think it's like I, I couldn't not start getting more literal in my lyrics. I couldn't not be political after some time. I would say when we started the band, the music scene here in Baltimore was so party-centric. It was all about drinking and partying and staying up late and motorcycles. And not that those things are always bad, but there was so much stuff going on in the world that I couldn't believe that no one was talking about something important. So we, we just saw this gap locally in our community and just kind of wanted to fill that. And then, of course, we were also aware that there's kind of a gap globally <laughs> about women rocking out and talking about uh, things that matter to them in day-to-day -day life. Speaking of that, how much money do you think you'd have if you had a nickel for every time you've been asked if you are someone in the band's girlfriend? <laughs> I'd, I'd have a lot of money. Yeah, it's, um, are you the girlfriend? Are you the keyboard player? I would get that too, <laughs> which is really interesting. Since you um, don't have a keyboard player. Yeah, yeah, and because you know you're walking in and you don't, you're not carrying a big keyboard. In this band, War on Women, I don't play anything. I just scream and dance around. But I've been playing guitar since I was 12, and and touring bands for a long time. So, so yes, I've had plenty of of experiences where I felt like I had to, you know, prove myself. And luckily, I usually did. Yeah, it was it was like this constant chip on my shoulder that was not imaginary. That right. people were looking for you to suck, you know? Right. And, and it was always like this amazing feeling after a show that's like, ha-ha, like I tricked <laughs> you into liking a woman guitar player, you know? <laughs> and, and so when we, we started doing War on Women, I, I had to really 
come to terms with the fact that I wasn't playing an instrument that some might consider like, oh, she's just the singer. I, I had to really find myself, like make sure that I was an integral part of the band and that no one could say, well, she just sings because she can't do anything else. Like I wanted to be like a full member of the band when we play on stage live, you know. Speaking of uh, your live set, I, I recently got to see you guys play in Washington. And uh, I watched you play the song specifically Broken Record. And I was wondering, after seeing how you handled it live, what's the worst reaction you've experienced as a band playing Broken Record live and sort of involving a man in the crowd? Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what's funny is that I would have thought that we, like, we haven't been protested against nearly as much as I would have hoped I've been lo- I've been looking for Westboro Baptist Church to come to a show or something, but everyone see everywhere we play, people seem if they don't like it, that's one thing. But no one's been like offended or confused about it, which is I, I was almost shocked that people seem to get it every time. So the song is about street harassment, and the first half of the song is sort of from the point of view of the harasser. And just, I'm honestly, I just say things that I've heard or I've heard uh, my friends recount stories of things that they've heard from harassers. So I'm not making any of it up. You know, I wish that I were, but these are things that people actually say to women, strange women on the street. But I'll usually focus on uh, a man in the audience who is a little receptive. You can tell. There's a glint in his eye or a smile. Like, he gets it. He gets what, what's going on in the song. And, you know, I don't want to mess around with, or I haven't had the opportunity to mess around with a guy in the audience who's, like, angry. <laughs> who's, who's like, why can't I harass women? No, no one would be brave enough to let that show in their eyes.
Shauna, you recently played a benefit for the persecuted Russian punk band Pussy Riot outside the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it was important to you? Yeah. Um, everyone in the band knew that it was something that we needed to do, and it didn't matter if there were five people there or a hundred people there or a bunch of press or no press. It just seemed like it's like that responsibility that comes with all your privilege, um, the privilege that we have living in America to say almost anything that we want about our government and uh, protest. And, and even though, uh, obviously, arguably, there are a lot of limits and we've seen a lot of examples of you know, people on the ground not actually allowing our citizens to protest. It just seemed like we owe it to the rest of the world to just draw the comparison that we, that we could literally get on a lawn across from the Russian em embassy that's usually um, abandoned and Amnesty International could set up a stage and a sound system and we'd have loud punk bands play and no one would come arrest us. You know, there's no permit, <laughs> as far as I know. There wasn't any express uh, permission to use the lot. There was just an, um, an understanding that, like, the owner of that lot doesn't use it and wouldn't complain, you know, like, they don't care. So, but there wasn't a direct yes. There was a contract sign or anything. So, it was really punk <laughs> to just set up. And to just be staring, I mean, I was, we were performing and I was literally staring at the Russian embassy and I could, you know, flick them off and tell them how I feel and no one was going to come out and like punch me in the face or arrest me or mace me or, or anything. So I, I sort of felt like I, I needed to do it, even if it didn't make an impact, just to show the rest of the world the stark comparison and to get people just thinking about it and aware that, that if you didn't know before that Russia <laughs> was a hard place to live, uh, now you know. Even for young, white, uh, you know, mothers, I mean, out of, out of all the kinds of people, it, it, it seems like the news would, of course, latch itself onto young white women, right? Like, mm -hmm. as far as paying attention to, to victims, like, oh, well, we're going we're gonna to pay attention to the story of young white women versus all the other horrible things that happen in the world to, all, to everyone. But it's, it's, sometimes it's like, if that's what it takes to be, like, the catalyst to get people to, you know, perk their ears up, then maybe that's okay. So I feel, I feel very lucky uh, to live where I live and do what I do um, with the full knowledge that, it can always be better, and we should always fight for it to be better. War on Women recently played an event in support of a ballot initiative, I believe it was in Maryland, that would approve a law allowing same-sex couples to obtain a civil marriage license. Now, do you really think this is a good idea? Don't you think this will just encourage them? <laughs> fuck yeah, we played that benefit, and fuck yeah, we won. We voted that shit in. <laughs> I am so proud of my state right now. So, so obviously one thing that happens a lot in um, big LGBTQ, like nonprofit world, is that the focus is, or the gatekeepers are often affluent white men, white gay men. And that's sort of the, the thing that happens everywhere in the, in the country, white men, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I listened to your po one of your recent podcasts, you guys, and you were talking about how election day is not the day to protest 
right. or to create change, um, you should be doing that the rest of the you know four years. And then on election day, whatever options are there, use what's there uh, to make the world a little bit better. I I really really agree with that sentiment. And I didn't know that I did until I heard it verbalized like that. Like I get that because I'm fairly moderate. You know, I'm not an anarchist or I'm not super extreme. Uh, we have to we have to end the interview right there. <laughs> we only interview extreme anarchists. Sorry, guys. Um, so so come election night, I'm sitting in my living room and and uh, you know percentages are flashing across the screen and and it's it was neck and neck for a long time, and I totally found myself getting emotional. It was really hitting me that almost half of our state is so misguided or full of hate or or whatever that they really think that two gay people getting married somehow makes their life worse somehow makes a difference to them and it was it was really uh it's freaking me out that, that it might not pass so i was so happy that it did but now it's kind of like okay can we move away from this whole like marriage is awesome thing because I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm. Can we move away from that and start getting into a little bit more gen- gender anarchy? You know, like be more accepting of gender nonconformity and different looking families and, you know, things other than two married people owning a house, having a kid and a dog. You know, like, I don't know. I'm sort of resigned to stay unmarried for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> but I know that. But but knowing that like our government gives all these benefits to people that are married, regardless of how long you've lived with someone, you know we don't have common law marriage here in Maryland, so no. there's no benefits for us, no matter how stable I might be living with a partner. So it's very frustrating. But I'm, now I'm sort of like, okay, okay, everyone, we got marriage in our state. That's awesome. If we didn't, I would have cried my eyes out. So we got it. I'm happy. Now let's do something else. Like let's start really focusing on the transgender community here and making sure that they're getting equal treatment and you know stop being killed mm-hmm. every day. Sorry, yesterday was Transgender Day of Remembrance here. That's right. Here, and, um, here too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's global. So I um I take part in the transgender response team. I'm a member of the transgender response team, which helps put on the transgender day of remembrance, um, ceremony or memorial service every year. So yesterday was just a ton of emotions that I'm still sort of recovering from. So yeah, so now I'd, I'd really like to focus more (laughs) on uh, the safety of my transgender brothers and sisters here in my state. Now that we have marriage, like let's move on to something that's not so white and gay and male. As we mentioned earlier, you're involved in the Baltimore chapter of the Hollaback movement. Could you maybe tell our listeners a little bit about that movement and uh, what its goals are and what it entails? Yeah, I mean, in its most basic form, it's it's a response or it's a way to deal with street harassment in the moment when it happens, and then also through through doing that, which which you do by sharing your story online or through our free phone apps, and uh, we map it. And, um, you know, you just put your story out there, put the facts out there. And then through doing that, we are also collecting this data from everyone worldwide that we can show the rest of society and go, see, this, this really is bad. 
this does not make people feel good, so therefore it is not a compliment, it is street harassment. This is, these, are, these are the facts, what are you going to do about it? But it started in New York uh, around 2005, and when cell phone cameras and blogs were kind of new. And so a woman, it started in New York, a woman just uh, posted a picture of someone who was uh, masturbating on the subway. She posted a picture of him on blog, and it went viral, as they say, and everyone sort of paid attention. And then, of course, and that's, you know, and that's like, you know, straight men pay attention and older folks, and then... And then all the women were like, duh, <laughs> this happens all the time. So, so more and more women and LGBTQ folks started sharing their stories of street harassment, sometimes including pictures of their harassers, which is perfectly legal, uh, by the way. And, um, and it's just grown from there. And we have hollowbacks now in over 60 cities around the world, like we're in Buenos Aires and France and Mexico and New Zealand and and I don't even know because we just added like 10 more this past week. There's one in Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, it, and so there's obviously a need for it. There's obviously um, a lot of rampant street harassment. And for anyone that doesn't know, street harassment is uh, sexual harassment in a public space from a stranger. So the difference here that, you know, than most people experience it is if someone's sexually harassing you at work or at school, um, there are laws in place to protect you. And of course, the system isn't perfect and shit happens, but there's, there's some sort of safety net there. Um, you know, people get sued all the time for sexually harassing people at work. There, there's, there's recourse. But when you're in public, when you're in the street, when you're walking to the laundromat or pick up a pizza or something... And the exchange can be so quick that, like, the guy's gone as soon as the street harassment's over. So you can't really rely on authority figures, and you have to sort of rely on yourself. But that's sort of the beauty is that uh, street harassment is this disempowering experience. You know, someone else just telling you, this is my street, and I can say whatever I want to, I can do whatever I want to. But you can actually take that power back and share your story, share their picture, and, uh, you know, put it out there, put them on call, give them a little big brother, let them know that if they're not careful, uh, their wife or their boss will see the photo online and know what, what they say to strange women on the street. So ha has the response from um, people who use the website been generally positive in that way, where it's something that gives them some control back, gives them, in a fundamentally disempowering situation, people find that this lets them take a little bit of that back? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, I can definitely speak from personal experience that, like, once I started the Baltimore chapter, um, and especially when I got my fancy phone, um, just knowing that that app is in my pocket, I'm so, when I walk down the street, I'm sort of like, yeah, what? Go ahead, street harass me. <laughs> like, I, like, I can't wait to take your photo and share this story with the world because I know that I'm right, you know. What did I hear the other day? Some quote, um, you can't punch someone in the face and then get to tell them how much it hurts, right? So when someone street harasses me and makes me feel unsafe or uncomfortable, when someone tries to rationalize it, oh, it's just a compliment, get over it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you don't get to tell me how I feel about this. How would people get involved with Hollaback? That's an excellent question. We always need 
volunteers. We need people to start hollowbacks in their own towns and their own universities. Um, they can just go to the main website, which is iHollowback.org. And we'll put it in our show notes. So, Shauna, what does the future hold for War on Women, and what advice would you have for young people coming up in the world who have private doubts about the prevailing patriarchal order but don't know what to do about it? <laughs> just scream more. <laughs> just, just scream. Even if, even if you can't quite uh, you know, verbalize it um, eloquently, your frustration is real, and it's worth exploring. Uh, so just scream. It makes me feel better. Um, also, then maybe educate yourself. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot, a lot of material out there. Uh, you'll find it. Uh, just, just read up. Just figure it out. And um, the best advice is probably to, I mean, coming from a female perspective, it's uh, really frustrating to try to not, to control your anger when you are talking with men who benefit from the patriarchy and, and don't realize it or don't understand it. So it can be difficult to control that frustration and anger when you're talking with them, but you also have to know that like they could be your best ally. So it's beneficial to find a way to level with all kinds of people because once we have you know men on our side, then the small amount of men that are really, really in power and control of the money, like they're going to have less people on their team. We're, we're going to be the bigger team. We're going to be able to fight it. So make everyone your ally. And what's next for the band? Yeah, I think War and Women's going to be touring with Propagandi a bunch come the new year. Uh, we're going to be in their face 24-7 <laughs> for a while. Um, so West Coast tour with with propaganda and then uh, a little bit of Europe. And what about on the recording front? Do you have anything new coming out? You know, we have a bunch of new songs, um, but we've been trying to make sure that we sell our current record. Right. We don't, we don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot. So I think when we get back from Europe with you guys, that's when we're going to head into the studio and we're, we'll probably have a full album's worth by then for sure. So where can people buy the uh, the ten inch? Yeah, they need this ten inch first. Yeah, they need to they need to put in the effort <laughs> to get this thing before I give them anything else. No, I bought it on um, iTunes. Why? Thank you. Yeah, you can find it on iTunes. It's really cheap, uh, six bucks, I think. I got it for um, free. <laughs> well, we're not all in propaganda, so <laughs> they can't all get it for free. But if Metallica calls me, I will send them a free record. <laughs> You can also get it from Exotic Fever Records, and we're also distributed through Discord if you want the actual vinyl record with digital download, which I recommend because, of course, it sounds awesome. So that do is, I. That's very punk. I recommend that format. You know what? I do want to say we're recording this the day before Thanksgiving. I don't know when you'll release it, but I do want to say that I'm very thankful to Propagandi, obviously, for asking us to do these tours. We're super excited about it, and that I'm really thankful um, after yesterday's TDOR service. I'm really thankful for all the privileges that I have and I just am going to try to continue to do my best to use them for good and not uh, and not forget that they're there. So that's kind of where my mindset is and um, 
it's usually a good a good place to be. Shauna Potter, activist, artist, entrepreneur, and unrepentant party animal. Thank you for being on Escape Velocity Radio. Thank you guys so much. Hey Adam, do you hear me? That has been episode five of Escape Velocity Radio. Thanks for tuning in for it, people. We want your feedback, sort of. 
Email us at feedback at escapevelocityradio.com or leave us a voicemail at 701-213-4483. That's right, that's 701-213-4483. And you can find us on Facebook. Facebook? Oh my God! At facebook.com slash escapevelocityradio. And on SoundCloud. What the fuck is that? soundcloud.com slash escapevelocityradio to listen to previous episodes and to see the show notes and links to the music we play each episode visit our website at escapevelocityradio.com if you are one of those who browses the iTunes you can go to our iTunes page just search for Escape Velocity Radio maybe rate the show maybe leave a review telling the world how much you love us individually as people unrelated to the stuff we do on the radio show. It will make our egos feel stroked. Have a good lunch.